Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to Katie Cartwheel, who is a circus performer and actress portraying multiple characters in the recent Star Wars movies, including Rio Durant and Solo. Katie is such a delight to talk to, full of a deep love for her craft and incredible stories from her time on set, working as a creature and droid performer for The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and, of course, Solo, A Star Wars Story. This is Talking Bay 94, Episode 113, Katie Cartwheel. getting into movies and and what you're doing now where did that initial love for gymnastics and drama even spring from where was that initial well of inspiration Mm, that's a really great um question isn't it um because I've been doing a little bit of work on passion um recently because I'm doing a psychology degree I'm looking at passion how it's really intertwined with identity um and I'm really interested in where our passion actually comes from and the journey of passion that we have with something. And I was a gymnast when I was a child. Um, mm. So I did spend seven years doing gymnastics. So I don't think it's all about having a talent for something. I think it's the time that you do spend doing something as well. So it gets integrated into your identity, right? And art, I just absolutely loved it. I loved making colourful shapes and the meaning behind art, particularly when I was a teenager, finding, you know, how different colours and how they slotted together meant something really amazing and magical. And very intense adolescent period that just made me really absorbed and drama it was I just I found it so fun and just expressing myself in that way I actually cut my hand in drama using a real knife you're not supposed to use a real knife um, practicing drama they were just subjects that I really really enjoyed and really spoke to me and made me feel very alive um, there were other subjects in school that I did like. I really loved history, but it didn't really grab me further than, yeah, school. I mean, I love I love what you're saying about passion and how that becomes part of you. You know, over time, your personality really just becomes what you do and what you experience. And how did you hone those abilities and experiences over time? How did you turn that into then, of course, becoming a circus performer turning that into a career and something that you've continued the rest of your life? Yeah, well, it was quite strange because I, I sort of left school and I couldn't I couldn't find a way to combine drama and art and gymnastics together. And I, I didn't really, hadn't thought of circus at that point. And I had thought of performing arts, but all the courses I saw were sort of musical theatre and singing. I'm not a singer. <laughs> I love to sing, but I just don't really have that vocal talent, I have to be honest. So I was just like, none of them are really, they're not really hitting it, you know? So I was like, I'm not going to go off and do that because I'm not quite getting the nail on the head. And I was I was really keen to do something that was just spot on, you know? Um, so I spent kind of a year and a half, you know, just in an office doing nothing, kind of trying to figure things out. And then I just saw a careers advisor one day and I said, look, I really need to sort this out. This is not what I want to do. What, what should I do? And she actually found a circus course um, that was in London. And I was like, that's it. That That is so it. That is exactly what I need to be doing. And it was just like everything just fell into place. It, it was artistic. It was dramatical. You know, it was gymnastic. It was awe-inspiring. But it didn't include the kind of musical theatre element that just didn't, at that time, really grab me. And I was just sold. That I find interesting because I never I never looked back from that, having not actually even tried circus in its art form at that point. But I just knew that was it. And that 
that really fascinates me wow. because it wasn't for some time um you know after that I did actually join the circus and the fact that I managed to go through some obstacles to get there on the way I think that's quite incredible what were you initially learning and gravitating towards in circus and becoming this performer and as you're saying using all the things that you were loving and responding to I mean more it's just my curiosity like what skills and aerobatics did you really initially gravitate towards in your circus career yeah, so I really liked being up in the air. Um, and the first two acts I worked on were Aerial Hexagon, which is a big hexagon in the air. Well, not big, like an aerial hoop, but not. Um, and Tight Wire I worked on. And I remember then at that point absolutely loving being in the air and wanting to spin and swing and, and learn all sorts of awesome tricks um, and not so much enjoying the Tight Wire at that time. Um, so I was definitely gravitating towards that. Just, um, they really put us up quite high in the big top. They put us up to seven metres, um, you know, first off, which for a beginner is very high. Um, so normally you don't go up that high when you first start, but they were just hardcore in the big top and they just threw in the deep end and they really expected you to get on with it. <laughs> and I loved that feeling of freedom um, and just literally literally just relying on my feet to keep me up on something so it's very daring and yeah a real sense of peace up there that's great i mean moving into to star wars there is kind of a rich history of star wars pulling in performers whether it's mime or vaudeville or aerobatics or gymnastics to flesh out this world and i love that you are part of that legacy and that story how did you first get connected with the Neil Scanlon crew and, and Force Awakens? And what was that first step for you? Yeah, yeah, really good question. Um, I was in a circus school in London called Aircraft Circus. Um, and I trained with them and I've been performing with them. They were like my circus family. Um, and they still are my London circus family there at that particular circus school. And one of the directors there, Alex Frith, I believe that he was friends with Brian Herring. He's obviously, he puppeted BB-8 as, as, as well as many other characters in Star Wars. And I think I think it literally was a case of Brian Herring ringing up Alex and saying, hey, do you know, do you know a stilt walker that's relatively short? And then Alex Frith, you know, rang me up and said, hey, Katie, you know, you do stilt walking, don't you? And I was like, no, I don't actually, no. <laughs> and by the, <laughs> no. It was quite a few years into doing circus. Um, so I'd clocked up quite a number of different skills. Journey of circus, you know, try one skill to the next. And okay. and, and that in itself is very interesting. So I said, but I can pick uh, stilts up, no problem. Just, um, you know, let's let's get to it. You know, so we did. And so I went down to um, aircraft. And we, we trained in their sort of massive space. And I trained on peg leg stilts, which is just pole on each foot, quite tall and, and, and practiced, you know, got the walking, which is quite hard on peg legs. Right. They haven't got the big um, base that you would find on decorator stilts, um, which are just the standard stilts you would you would hire or buy for decorating your house. If you want to be that bit taller without a ladder in the way, got a, you know, the base of the foot that's like that. Um, whereas these ones were literally just a peg. Um, but yeah, running, walking, swizzling, yeah, pirouetting, lunging, crouching, <laughs> just trying everything. I had no idea what they'd asked me to do. So let me just try and get really good on these stilts. Right. <laughs> I don't think all of those things were completely necessary. <laughs> but having that balance and um, I think working with Alex, Frith, mm -hmm. um, 
amazing because um, he came from a very creative dance creature based background mm. so he really kind of getting these different animalistic movements out of the body and being able to sort of crouch down together and then you know kind of go in a sort of animal um sort of walk one way and then back and then give it this amazing energy um so when we actually went in for um it wasn't I'd say an audition or it wasn't really an audition because we, we were the only ones there so it was like this conceptual um process where the team unbeknownst to me or Alex already had a vision for for Big Red or Cured 327 that was in Force Awakens. They had the image already in their heads. They already had the artwork, in fact. You know, Arthur's already drawn him. Um, I say him affectionately for Big Red. (laughs) Male, male, you know, load lifter droid. You know, he'd been drawn, I think, by Jacob... Or, or Luke, anyway, it's in it's in one of the books, incredible artwork. Mm-hmm. And it was Neil that looked at this drawing and was like, hmm, you know, perhaps we can stick a stilt walker in there. And the rest of the gang thought they were crazy, you know, and, and that's why I sort of came in. So they already thought, okay, this is the kind of action, you know, we're, we're kind of after. And Alex did amazingly well. And I was thinking, well, they could just have Alex for this <laughs> job. brilliant and what he does Um, but obviously they wanted me because I had that height benefit and that's how it first happened they just kept asking me to come back in and it was I didn't know know it was Stoll's for the first few times I went in (laughs) Uh I know it was crazy because being surrounded by all these amazing um, talented people and sort of being shuffled into a room without being walked past you know Wookiees and alien heads (laughs) that would really have given it away (laughs) I mean, because this character, uh, Hurrid327, I remember it's in one of the first trailers, I want to say, for Force Awakens. It shows up. And it really is such an incredible design. What was the process for you, whether it was fittings or getting comfortable with the costume itself and really trying to, like, build a personality within something that, you know, just standing in a corner wouldn't have it without, without you, really? Yeah, yeah. So it was an incredible process, one that I wasn't used to um, the first time I'd been through that. Um, so I was really learning on my feet. Um, and every time I went in, something more was added, mm. something more was fitted. So I never felt like I went in and went over the same thing ever again. It was more like every time I went in, suddenly loads of wires were all over the stilts. Yeah. Um, there was all that weight. Or I went in, then suddenly they'd built you know, the harness with the back plates you know, and then the shells coming on. Well, at that point, it was fairly, you know, it was doable. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad. (laughs) And then I remember coming in, you know, and they'd built, like, the arms coming off the shell. And then there were, like, the satellite sort of dish things. And (laughs) so I remember coming in one time and it just had got an awful lot heavier. (laughs) Suddenly there was fabric all down the sides as well that they put on. So I couldn't see anything (laughs) at all. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, this is really hard. And suddenly it dawned on me that this was a very difficult thing to be doing. Um, yeah, it was it was tough. So going in there and trying to walk um, Big Red when he was very top heavy with all this weight coming off, massive arms, you know, and it really did try and pull forwards this way. And being relatively new at stilt walking, um, it was absolute challenge and um i remember doing you know a, a sort of show for uh jj abrams mm. um, just to sort of reveal if you like pre 
movie to show him some of the creatures and Big Red was one of them. And it just being this incredible thing, all these different creatures and different spaces. And it was really choreographed. So we had Paul Casey, who was, mm. he's been a, you know, a real integral um, part of choreographing the creatures um, in Star Wars. Um, and saying, right, you go from point A to point B. When when they get to there, right, Katie, you walk along here from this line here. Of course, because we couldn't see, we really had we had to listen, you know, to what they were saying, and um, we had to have specific step points. So just really trust the team that was around us. And um, putting all this wonderful showcasing um, these amazing creatures in fine detail to JJ Abrams, and he was absolutely thrilled to pieces with it. He was really good because he was just like, yeah, I love it. You know, brilliant. Just keep doing what you're doing, you know, to Neil. And it was, he just really gave you the sense that you were going in the right direction. And he had this, he kind of had this assured faith in everyone that kind of made you feel, okay, we've all got this as a team and JJ's behind us with this vision. And it was really, do you know what? It just felt really special just being on set with him. I love it. And I mean, Force Awakens, they made such a point to point out the practicality of it all and how they're really making sure that it feels tangible and feels real. And again, it, I think one of the first creatures that we really see is is Big Red. And I think that's such a great way to kind of bring Star Wars back to a new audience. I'd love to move to The Last Jedi because I, I think you got away with not having to use stilts for The Last Jedi. <laughs> a little bit simpler as a caretaker what was that process kind of now being part of this bold, part of this creature family and, and getting to go on location to Ireland and really getting to, to explore that whole character? Yeah, the caretaker was, yeah, like a dream come true because I was on my feet. <laughs> so after doing Big Red, I was, I was thinking I can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on my feet. This is going to be easy. It was hard. <laughs> it was still very hard. <laughs> but it's a different sort of way. Yeah, so it's always hard. But it was amazing. So we did, um, we had to learn all these dance steps. Mm-hmm. Um, this was in Pinewood. For like two weeks, we came in. There was 30 of us caretakers to start with all kind of raging around the, you know, below the five foot mark. So we weren't really little, a couple were, but, you know, it's quite tall, really, if you're looking at little aliens, sort of four foot ten, four foot six, seven, eight, nine, that kind of mid-range, not really small enough to call yourself a little person, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. Uh, because uh, the caretakers had these kind of bird-like feet, we had to, like, pick them up. <laughs> Paul Casey really put us through our paces, and um, it was like, pick up the knee, pick, pick, Constantly, we had these jigs to learn because there was a scene where all the caretakers were dancing around the fire, which right. did unfortunately get cut. Right. Um, but we did this huge scene. Oh, I think it might be in one of the games somewhere. And it's on the Blu-ray. It's on the deleted uh, scenes uh, as well. It's on the deleted so. scenes. Uh, it was amazing to shoot. You know your stuff, Brandon. This is awesome. Yeah. That's it. That's what this I'm is when for. I get put to shame because <laughs> I, this is when my Star Wars novel just <laughs> fails. I know what I did, I think. No, no, no. <laughs> And we were two weeks sort of dancing around the warehouse in these massive costumes, <laughs> bulging tummies and breasts and big bums, you know, big thighs, right. you know, to sort of make it this kind of non-homely nurturing character, you know, heads on. <laughs> um, I mean, he's like, pick up the feet, pick up the knees, you know. My gosh, come the weekend, loads of people complain to their agents because... Nobody, nobody could walk. Oh no! Um, literally, right. I couldn't walk either. I didn't complain. I've learned with Star Wars: never complain. Right. <laughs> Just say it's all cool right. here. 
Um, but literally, um, I couldn't walk upstairs. It was I, I was crawling up the stairs. Yeah. Thigh oh muscles God. and our calves were just, they just had gone completely. Um, everyone, and I was thinking, thank God I don't have work on because I don't think I'd be <laughs> able to walk. So I came in on Monday, right. by which time it was a bit better. But yeah, ended up in um, in Ireland on the wild west coast um, on this amazing cliff for a week and shot this scene. And it was just incredible. I mean, they'd made the set, you know, and scaffolded the set up on top of the cliff. You could see the back of the set for miles. Couldn't, there wasn't really any way to hide the set on the top of the cliff. Um, but the front was right. out of view. And they had like a Navy ship patrolling the seas to stop the paparazzi. I mean, oh it was crazy. Um, you know, and a helicopter was flying up to get these wonderful views. So it was just, you knew you were on the set of a big, big movie. And only 100 people could go on set at any time because of the stability of the structure. So it was really well managed. Right. Yeah, it was beautiful there. So sort of looking down, down, down the cliff, really, there was just a sheer drop down. To this, and the, the colour of the seawater was like a turquoise lagoon. It was utterly magical it was insane that they managed to shoot on such a precarious location right. and um, yeah doing the caretaker right. there it was very different to big red i had this the head of the creature on inside there were a lot of robotics and that was quite a different experience for me um because big red had been a big shell and although i lost visibility my airflow was fairly good actually but whereas with this head it was very you know i had a skull cap on total compression mm -hmm. Right. There was not really a lot of room, you know, between this and then the whirring and all these things going on. And then it was so hot, honestly. <laughs> it was all the way up here, you know, because obviously you get the whole costume on and the head comes on. Then it all gets zipped up and velcroed on. So you can't get out. Right. You need a team to get you out, you know. And then I'm relying on um, Matt Jones. He was, uh, he did it. He was great. He was um, doing some of the fabricating and in the, yeah, in the creatures department. And he was actually like controlling my head. So making my mouth mm. open and close and mm. eyes open, blink and things. And um, so I was totally under his control. <laughs> so if he closed my mouth, you know, that there went my air. And I'm like, Mark, please, <laughs> can you stop it? <laughs> Can you just give me a little bit of vision? Just a little. Because I was walking up these steps, you know, and it was a bit of a drop down, okay? I say a bit. It was a fair drop. Um, I did kind of need to see, um, you know. And um, even though I could, even when I could see, I still couldn't see my feet, mind you, because there's a slit kind of over here, you know. So you're like peering, trying. Like, this is just useless. <laughs> it was panicky, you know, at times. You know, you got a sort of sense of claustrophobia. And I think everyone who does creatures work does experience that, um, you know, gets those moments of panic where you suddenly kind of go, oh, my gosh, I really cannot get out of here. And I'm hot and I really can't really breathe. I don't know where I'm at. And the way that I dealt with that personally, and I found this really useful inside the caretaker, was I just really got into character in those moments. And I thought, OK, so I'm feeling a little bit panicky here. I really can't breathe and I'm sweltering. And and I'm worried for myself a little bit. So I was like, okay, but what am I meant to be doing right now? What am I actually doing? 
And I remember being around the fire and being, okay, so this would be the kind of energy. It's very lively and kind of bustling about, I'm very happy. I've been doing all of these things all day, collecting my fruit and my veg and my basket, maybe my fishing. So I had these kind of stories running through my head and it just got me through. And the same within Ireland going up the steps, I was like, okay, it's that very kind of, it's a nurturing, but at the same time, a very lively energy. And oh, where are my stones? Oh, yes. Oh, let me try one of those. Oh, I see. Oh, very interesting. Oh, no, not that one. Oh, let's break up those stones, you know. So this kind of, and it just, at one point, they had to say, Katie, can you stop talking to yourself? Because we can hear you. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. And I thought, now what am I going to do? I've lost my, I thought, well, just talk to yourself in your head, Katie. I'm sure it'd be okay. So I did. I was like, inside the costume. <laughs> that's great. I love it. And I mean, I think that's a real testament. Like you mentioned, like, not complaining and learning on the job and really putting yourself into character. And as we move into Solo, which is your biggest creature role in Star Wars, it really is a testament, I think, to that ethic and to that passion that you had behind behind your performances. And I'd love to talk about Rio because I think it's so cool, um, not only like the character itself, but what you had to do in order to really bring it to life. And how did that opportunity first come about? And how did that process begin for you to really take the mantle of this character on set mm, yeah so yeah I just got a call up from um Neil Scanlan's office saying oh Katie you know you'd like to come in um Neil would like to have a chat with you so I came in not knowing what to expect knowing never to expect anything right. <laughs> could be anything <laughs> um right. yeah so I sort of went in and they said oh this is an exciting new character and he's got a lot of dialogue and you know would you be available and you know we need the kind of acrobatic element because um, he's a he's a sort of acrobatic monkey type is how they explained it and um and they said you know but you won't be needed for very much of it and it'll be more like a walk-on character and we've also got a puppeteered version which will be the main version and you'll just do kind of the walk-on and the, the fly-by kind of thing or swing by <laughs> should I say um and there are some stunts but the stunt team could you know at any moment say we're going to put one of our own in in Rio to do the stunts and I was like, no, totally cool, amazing. I'd love to do the stunts if I could. Totally up for it, brilliant. And I remember going out thinking, oh my gosh, this is a really amazing character. Because I'd been really wanting a character that had been that had dialogue to kind of sink my teeth into a bit more acting. So I knew what an opportunity it was. And I went in about a month later to do a couple of weeks um, recce. And they had a scaffold frame put up. So it was just me and my leotard with kind of initial an initial head. Of Rio. And I was just practicing, what, how could I move from one bar to the next? Could I go up, upside down? It was, imagining it was in the cockpit of a ship, which ended up obviously being the, the AT hauler. And Rio did do a little stunt in there. Not as much as I rehearsed, right? We rehearsed it to the bone, you know, just in case anything was needed. So it's literally like, if I hang here and reach there, can I hang upside down and reach that? Um, like, can I swing to this switch? Can I, can I use my foot on that switch? You know, can I, how would I get from this place to that place? How would Rio move? Um, incredible couple of weeks. And after that, you know, they contacted me and said, you know, Katie, we're going to go with you for Rio. So, you know, can you come back in here? Yeah. Well, I hadn't realised they weren't going to go with me at that point, right? So <laughs> it just shows you kind of how the process works a little bit. They're just kind of sussing right. things out as they go along as well. And saying, okay, is this working? Isn't it? And you don't really have an idea of what they, um, what they're saying behind the scenes. There's always a kind of atmosphere of like, okay, you just do your best, but you're kind of aware that you are in their control uh, to some extent on whether or not they do cast you. Ultimately, you know, so it is a matter of, you know, performing and um, 
and just doing your best to stay positive on the job despite it being really demanding and then I went back in and they had literally built the um, exact dimensions of the hauler in scaffold frame that's incredible Um, and so I got to play around on that for, for a while and at the same um, time, you know, the, the puppeteered version of Rio was being uh, worked on by Brian Heron, Dave Chapman, um, Damien, Colin, Purvis. And they'd been working really hard on coming up with these amazing tricks, particularly when Rio was at the campfire scene, when he's like this juggling chef. <laughs> so imagine him sort of throwing, yeah, because he's got four hands, you know, throwing a bit of thing over there to that, catching the pepper pots, twisting it around, shaking the thing over there, doing the pan, like throwing that. It's just this whole sort of incredible energetic cooking. He was like, I thought, like an intergalactic chef and... I just imagined him, you know, around the galaxy, opening up all these, you know, restaurants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Rio's restaurants, yeah. Intergalactic chef. You know, I was very lucky that it happened that um, when Ron Howard took over the directing of that movie, um, he said, look, I'll, I just want the Katie version of Rio. And then I ended up shooting all everything that ended up in the movie, which was incredibly privileged to get that opportunity it was incredible learning the lines and the dialogue and knowing it and then on on set actually being able to speak out those lines whilst doing the action and yeah it was brilliant I felt like I finally got a chance to really get into a character you know with some meat to it and my favorite my favorite scene was the campfire scene um and it was because for its intimacy I'm sitting you know obviously with um you know Woody Harrelson and Tandy Newton they were around the campfire um, we had Chewy as well, Han Solo. And it was so intimate. And the diet, you really had to think, okay, what's the energy of this piece? And there was a really sad moment where we were thinking about um, Chewy losing a load of his tribe. And it was just this really quiet moment. And I was just sort of stirring the soup. <laughs> this is really, really heavy, man. Right. Um, oh, it was just a, it was just a beautiful, beautiful scene. And then, um, yeah, the way that Rio sort of flips up to get something out of the basket, and then he's still listening into what's being said, and um, you know, interacting with the other characters. And you know, he's just a beautiful character. Um, yeah. I loved this the little stunt that he did in the hauler. So, um, the sort of jump from one seat to the other, which doesn't sound mm-hmm. like a lot. Um, but it was it was well, it wasn't really a lot, but it was quite a lot in costume where you've got very heavy costume on because I was completely right. in costume, even though right. part of his face is CGI. I was still wearing the head and fully clothed, and it was very difficult to lift my knee up past. Um, I mean, I suppose if that's my knee, it was like there. Anything there was like that's as far as I could go. So I was like literally jumping up onto a seat and then flying over, <laughs> you know, via a, a pole, swinging right. on that. And um, it was and even my shoulder angle actually could only sort of go to there, and it couldn't do that either. Right. So it was literally to there. So it's very, really difficult to try and be acrobatic when you when you're really hindered with the amount that you can move limbs by. Um, but we did this wonderful little jump to the other seat and there was a sheer drop down because they were filming from above as well. So it was exciting. It was so exciting. Being enclosed in the ship, the whole yeah. thing was just, you know, it was a dream come true inside a ship yeah. flying. You had to have a helicopter lesson to learn. 
to fly it because like, I obviously was probably probably doing a bit of this, you know, <laughs> steering wheel backward and forward at first, and then like, right, she needs to know how to fly. <laughs> No, you just keep it quite that. You just occasionally flip a switch. You're looking over here, checking the button. Okay, might do a bit. Of, if you turn, it's normally a turn. It's definitely not that. I don't know if that's what yeah. I'm doing. But um, no, it was amazing. Like, yeah, you just like pop that switch on. If you just want to like automatic fly, that's it. Pop that switch up, check that, yeah. I mean, really, Rio is such a scene stealer in a movie of scene stealers. And it really is a testament, I think, again, to your performance and bringing bring him to life because like as you're describing you're wearing i mean what's on screen is mostly you with the addition of the cgi arms and the faces you mentioned and i think that you know bringing that to life is no small feat to really make it believable yeah rio's fantastic such a shame he died but hopefully they can right. do a prequel right that'd be good wouldn't it bring, bring rio he, back. maybe he's opening his restaurants yeah and, and, that, yeah. and then he into, okay, that's can, it i'm in I'm in. That's it. I'd love to move, obviously, past Star Wars because you're not just a Star Wars creature performer. Like your your circus performing has evolved and has been incredible. And I'd love to talk about circus passion, how that has impacted you, and, and what you've been doing, and how people can watch. Yeah. So that's again, it's another really, really good question because uh, circus is my passion, right. uh, and then that's that's why I'm studying passion now in psychology uh, with right. circus, probably with circus performers. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, why not? <laughs> yeah, it's it's just an absolute passion. I love it. So now that I'm not in Star Wars at the moment, I, I'm doing circus still. And I've been coming up with a another doubles trapeze act um, with a friend of mine called Michaela. And um, we just performed it the other day uh, out on the field. I've got a, a rig that I use that goes up to around six metres. It's just quite easy to uh, transport. It's portable freestanding and we popped it up in the field and we had a lot of people come along and it was just that coming out of lockdown and um mm -hmm. we spent quite a few months getting this act together um and she bases me so you know I'm we're on a trapeze bar you know mm -hmm. which is like a bar with, with two ropes we're not swinging on it it's like a static staying still act you know I swing on Michaela so it's not a whole swinging um piece of equipment but we're, we're kind of on it doing these dynamic tricks Right. Um, so she might be sitting on it and I'm grabbing her feet, um, uh, going from bar to feet, swinging, lying on her feet, or then she's hanging upside down and then swinging to catching feet. To, to, she's holding one foot to back up to hands to a bit of a fly through the air to catching feet and this sort of swinging off the back and do a big swing and then back to hands and making beautiful shapes as well. So it's really about how we move from one trick to the other, how we make it look smooth and effortless. And in time, and like we're using each other's bodies to get from A to B as well. And, and how can we use each other to get from mm. A to B? Um, and it's such a demanding uh, piece of equipment. It's my favourite piece of equipment is doubles trapeze. Mm. It's that feeling of being with somebody else up in the air. I just love it. It's it's not as scary being in the air when you're with somebody else. It's It just doesn't seem, it's not as lonely either. It's It feels very, very different working on somebody else's body as a piece of equipment than just a piece of equipment on its own. You've got that shared energy and you've really got to get the timing right with every move. See, an audience watching wouldn't realise that some of the simplest looking moves take a lot of time and, and looking at fine adjustments of the body to really get that. 
um, the timing correct. So when, you know, I'm, I'm tempoing my legs to fly up, you know, Mikhailo's got to pull. We've got to have the tempo at the same time, the same rate, and it's got to have the same energy, same depth. Um, um, it's, there's, there's such a lot to think about. It's an incredible sense of achievement. So that at the moment is my highlight, as well as relearning hula hooping over lockdown. I know lockdown was harsh for a lot of people, but for me personally, I really embraced having the time to practice um, without having work on. So I just love circus so much. And, and it was nice because we actually raised money for Young Minds for children's mental health. So Young Minds mm -hmm. is a UK charity. I'm not sure if it goes international, it might do. Um, because of the impact on children's mental health um, in recent years anyway, particularly with lockdown, so we, we put it on for that. We all danced around and did silly, crazy dancing. And um, it was just a really valuable thing to do. So that is, that's an honour to be able to do that with, with what I love, is to bring this kind of joy and, and passion to other people. And, and I think lockdown has taught us just how valuable the arts are. And mm -hmm. I think before the pandemic, I wonder whether a lot of people really fully appreciated what arts bring us, that sense of joy, that relief, the entertainment we need from everyday life that colour, that vibrancy, that vitality. And I think when that was lacking during the pandemic, I think people are like, oh my God, what I really want is to get together with other people and dance. All I want to do is go and see a show. All I want to do is go out. All I want to do is mingle. What I want is entertainment. And they suddenly realise the value of it, that actually, you know, it is an important um, asset to us all. I mean, this whole conversation has been so full of passion, so full of joy, and I appreciate your time and you telling these stories. And Katie, thank you for coming on and, and being a part of this. You're more than welcome. Thanks so much for having me. You've been really wonderful at interviewing. So oh, thank you. It's been a lovely interview. Really, really smooth, really easy. So thank you. Good. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Thanks again to Katie for taking the time to come on the show and tell her stories, as well as those very kind words at the end. Check out her website, circuspassion.co.uk, for more information about her upcoming projects. Today, my interview with legendary producer Robert Watts hits shelves in this month's issue of the Star Wars Insider number 203, so definitely pick it up and let me know what you think. And if right now you can leave a five-star rating and review for the show, it means a lot and really helps the show out in ways I still don't super understand. But until next week, stay tuned, leave that five-star review, and may the Force be with you.